We're in uh, this series on uh, the hoods, and, and, and I kind of locked myself into this message because I was trying to come up with some things that I thought were pertinent to discuss where it ended in the word, ended in the word hood. And so from motherhood next week, fatherhood, that's the last installment of the series, we've been unpacking a message that ended with the word hood, adulthood, and, and um, we dealt with under the hood last week. How many here last week for adult, uh, under the hood? Good. And so, praise God for the five people that like that message. It's awesome. <laughs> How to encourage your pastor in two seconds. <laughs> Failure. Uh, but anyway, uh, today is, is priesthood. Priesthood. We're going to talk about the priesthood of the believer. And I have a very uh, challenging task because I want to... Uh, Talk about how it pertains to you, but, but, but there's kind of two pieces to it, and we'll get into that as we go forward. But first, I want to say, um, have you ever been in a situation where uh, you met someone and you kind of asked them, what do they do for a living? Anybody ever done that? Hey, what do you do for a living? Right? And then they told you what they did for a living, and then you had no idea what they did for a living. <laughs> After that. And then, and then you, you tried again, you asked like a clarifying question, and then you were even further away from the truth than you were before. And so then what do we do? We just kind of like, mm-hmm. You just kind of like nod. You go along with it like you know what they're talking about, but you have, how many know we have no idea what you're talking about, right? <laughs> One of the places that I see this most commonly manifest is with husbands and wives. I got you, ladies. I got you so bad right now. You know what I'm talking about. You can you see two couples, they go out to eat, and maybe it's a new couple, and the couple's asking questions. The husband goes off to the bathroom real quick, and then the, 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 the remaining wife there, representing the family and representing the household, is asked this just horrific question. By the way, so can you, what does your husband do for a living? To which she's like, <laughs> she's piecing tongues for the first time in her life. She cannot articulate what her husband does for a living. She lives with him. She sleeps with him. She bore his children. She, she has no idea. Come on, ladies. You know it's true. <laughs> but for those of us with the job, we, we, think, we think, like, it's obvious what I do to us. Right? It's completely obvious. I know what I do, and it's so easy to, to unpack, you know, all the things that we do. And, and I've seen this in my, my world, my field, <laughs> people ask me what I, what I do. What do you do for work, you know? And because of my experiences, sometimes I'll lie. <laughs> I'm in sales. You know, that's what I say, sort of a lie, but it's not a lie. I'm in sales. What do you sell? Well, I sell uh, books. <laughs> One in particular. Uh, no, but... <laughs> Can we have fun this morning? Is that all right? But, but, but I'll... You know, a lot of times I'll say, I'm a pastor, you know, and they're like, well, what? They get confused by that right away. Like, what do you do? <laughs> like, is that full time? <laughs> yes, it's full time. You know, and the, and the Christian in me wants to punch them in the face when they say that. Because in their mind, they're thinking like, you know, you kind of read a couple books, you know, some commentaries and journal some stuff. And I heard one guy at the golf course tell me, so how much time does it take for you to get ready for your little talk on Sundays? Again, hashtag punch in the face. Like, I, I have anger issues. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> but there's actually more responsibility than that. But the point is, there's sometimes confusion about what people do, right? Right? And, 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 and in our area, our locale, many of you represent this, uh, we have a strong Catholic population in our area. We are a, you know, we're a blue state, we're a Catholic country, 
uh, in the name of Jesus, we're Jesus country. But anyway, um, but our Catholic friends that and you that were raised in that, they, they get this, this, this thing kind of messed up. And, and I'm going to try to unpack this for you. But because of the, the number of Catholics in the area, sometimes I'll see uh, some people in the gym. They don't, know what I, they don't know that I'm a pastor, but they know I'm a religious leader. And so they'll come up to me and say, because uh, they think I'm a priest. And so they'll be like, Father, what parish do you serve at? Again, I want to punch him in the face. Not a father, you know. And I'll, so then I'll be like, bro, I'm not a priest. But then I thought when they say this, yeah, I am a priest. And guess what? So are you. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the priesthood of, if you are a believer, the priesthood of the believers. Because I think, if I ask you, what do you think of when you think of priest? You think of a Catholic priest, you know, ministering the sacraments of some sort, you know, and waving this thing and, you know, all that, whatever. You think of that. Or you think of some, like, Jewish leader from the past who was offering sacrifices on a brazen altar. Okay? But, but do you think of Jesus when you think of priest? After today, you will. Are you tracking, everybody? Turn to your neighbors and say, I'm excited about this message. Okay. So... Um, this idea of priest or priesthood, first of all, the word priest is used 700 times in the Old Testament. I don't know if you realize that. I don't know if you realize the significance and importance of a priest, a particular high priest. In the Old Testament, especially for the Jewish culture, second to king was a high priest. A high priest was second to a king, okay? And so it's a very, very important role in the body of Christ. First Peter chapter 2, we're going to look at this. I'm going to look at some New Testament scriptures. I'm going to look at some Old Testament scriptures. And I'm going to ask you to go to a different gear of learning today. This is, we're deep today. Really, really, really deep, okay? And so don't check out because it's deep. I need you to lock in. Everybody ready for this? Okay? So we're going to look at some New Testament scriptures which help us better see and comprehend Old Testament scriptures that we've been confused about in the past. That's my, that's my, that's my goal, my objective. First Peter chapter 2, though, basis scripture says in verse 9, you are, you, me, you editorially, as believers are, a chosen people, and then it says a royal priesthood. It goes on to say a holy nation, a peculiar people, who show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How do you know that? I memorized it when I was 18 years old. <laughs> But this word royal priesthood is really two things that come together. Old Testament, priests and kings were separate. New Testament, kings and priests together. One position, one function, joined together as one. Are you with me, everybody? And so in, the, in, in, in this particular text is referencing Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, if you're interested. But it's also culminated... In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, I'll read this for you. It's going to come up on the screen. Revelation 1, 5 says, And from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of this earth. So this is Revelation. So this is the end of days. Okay, this is, Jesus was a savior to us, but he's coming back a king. Amen? So this scripture is referencing him as a king. Jesus is not just our priest, he's also our king. And so then it says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Jesus loved us. He shed his blood for us. And has made us to be, made us to be a kingdom of priests. Kingdom of priests to serve God and serve the Father. So whenever you see that K 
kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, it's the same thing. You are a royal priesthood. You are called to be a kingdom of priests. And in the, if you're in the kingdom, you should be a priest. That's how you can connect it. And the question is, <laughs> what is a priest? And what does a priest do? Before I get to that, I want you to see the value of Jesus as your priest. And here's the value of Jesus as your priest, and it's your big idea if you're still with me taking notes. You need a priest. Excuse me. You don't need a priest anymore because you are a priest. So you don't have to go through a priest to get to God because you are now yourself a priest. Are you with me, everybody? And this is something that we'll unpack in just a little bit. But this, this idea of needing a priest, the only kind of person uh, that is in heaven again is priests. And unfortunately, a lot of times, if we are a kingdom of priests, we're not living kingdom-like because we don't know what a, a priest looks like. So I want to help you live kingdom-like, but first we have to know what it looks like. Now, we know what a king looks like. We know what a king does. I don't have to spend a lot of time on that. It's pretty easy. A king, if I was to ask you or survey you, what fundamentally does a king do? You know he, you know he rules. He reigns. He's large and in charge. You know, he's got dominion over, over people and, and places and things. But the unique responsibility role of a priest is really three things that we're going to spend time on. The three things are a priest offers sacrifices for a certain purpose, okay? A priest offers gifts for a certain purpose, and a priest intercedes, intercession. Those are the three things, and I'm going to try to make them make sense to you and make them relevant to you kind of as we go forward. But many don't realize you can't offer God anything. You can't approach God for anything if you don't have a priest or you're not a priest, so the role of a priest is so important because if you got a problem, you can't get that problem solved unless you can function in the role of a priest or you have one who does that for you. Is everybody tracking so far? Can I have more than five amens? Okay. Let, let me help you a little bit. So, again, back to our Catholic friends. I'm drawing some contrast between we have certain doctrines that we are in alignment with and some that we are not. I'm going to reference one that we are not in alignment with. Our Catholic friends believe in what is called the sacrament of reconciliation. Contrasted to that, our opposing doctrine is the priesthood of the believer. Okay? The sacrament of reconciliation, you might know it, especially if you've been around a while, as confession. And that's when you went and had to a confessional and where you saw a who? Priest. Okay, good. Some of you, how the Catholics are alive now. Praise the Lord. Okay, and so... The reason that was needed, summary here, is Catholics believed in two types of sin, venial sins and mortal sins, okay? Venial sins are these like everyday, common, easy to kind of get over, easily forgiven sins. They're the sins of the little white lies, the, the times when you see a baby and you say it's so cute, but you think it looks like a demonic cookie, you know, like so you saw somebody, they got a new hairdo, and you thought... You said it was nice, but it looks like they were electrocuted. Or, you know, those kind of, <laughs> you stole a pencil from the office, you were speeding. These are venial. Everybody say venial. And then there are the mortal sins. Those are the more serious, the big daddy sins. That's like adultery and abuse and murder and taking in stray cats. 
That's funny, I don't care what you say. Okay, so what the Catholics believe is that these unconfessed sins, if left unattended, become a big, big problem between you and God if you die. And many of you have been raised in that, and then you brought that into this. So that theology and that doctrine, whether you understood it as the sacrament of reconciliation, is permeating your belief system and affecting your relationship with God the Father. Oh, that's a better place for an amen or at least an oh me. Okay? And so that's the solution on the the Catholic side is the sacrament of reconciliation. You better confess all the time because if you die, you're not going to be okay with Big Daddy in heaven. You don't want to risk that, so you need to confess, confess, confess. And so you would go see a priest, and, you, and the priest would, on your, he would listen to you. He would receive your confession. Then he would, he would, he would present your sins to God. And then he was given as the uh, representative of God the opportunity to forgive you of your sins. And he's the only one who could do that. And so you, you would say, Father, forgive me for I've sinned. And then he would forgive you. And then he'd say, go and sin no more. And you'd walk away. But if you sin the next day you, and you died after that, you'd be in big trouble. <laughs> right? So that's the sacrament of reconciliation. It is, it is a uh, feudal system. It is, it is a, it's not a good system. It doesn't work. So God gave us a better system, and it's called the priesthood of the believer, and that is we have, there's one mediator, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, between God and man. There's not a priest here. It's Jesus Christ, our high priest, and because of relationship we have with him, we are given direct access to go to God the Father with our mistakes. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another. You may be healed. Yes, you can confess it here, but it's forgiven there. Are you with me, everybody? And so if we confess our sins, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, he, that is God, is faithful and just to forgive your sin, and then he cleanses you from all unrighteousness, all your sin. This is the priesthood of the believer. Say amen. amen. So I, you know, just for a little, just fun, I heard about a priest who wanted to improve on the system instead of changing the system, so he modernized the system by creating a drive through confessional. So he's got a drive through confessional, and, and he's killing it. You know, he's got lights, you know, you can 24-hour, you know, and, and, and people just going around the clock. So it gets the attention of the Vatican. The Vatican sends a representative, a bishop from somewhere. Bishop comes into town, is like, yo, this is amazing. It's like, it's cutting edge, it's relevant, it's, it's, like, it's like reaching tons of people, like it's unbelievable. But my suggestion is that you get that sign out front that says, toot and tell or you go to hell. <laughs> Off. Get that off. Get, get rid of that. Okay? So, so, so this is an imperfect system is what I'm trying to get you to see and understand. You get to go to God direct with your concerns and with your issues. But without that priest, that priestly robe upon you, without recognition of Jesus as your high priest, you could not offer and you could not approach God without a sacrifice and without gifts. That's why we... You've probably heard sometimes a worship leader say, come on, let's bring a sacrifice of praise. That's taken from Bible in this particular doctrine. Because the truth is, sometimes you don't want to praise the Lord. Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's terrible. You're like, I don't want to admit it. That's why I was 30 minutes late. Okay. All right. There you have it. Shots fired. Okay. So... What I'm going to do now is I'm going to look through this book in the Bible called Hebrews. It would be a great coffee company name. But Hebrews is the second most difficult 
book in the, you'll never think of it differently after that. It is the second most difficult book in the Bible, or certainly in the New Testament, next to uh, Revelation. A young lady told me last, last uh, at the door, just before service, she said, I'm getting ready to read the book of Revelation. Any advice for me? And I was like, don't do it. No. But <laughs> Hebrews is like the New Testament Leviticus of the Bible, okay? How many did a lot of reading in Leviticus this week? All the hands. No. Okay. Exactly. So Hebrews intimidates you, and I'm going to try to break it down. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's about to break it down. <laughs> now, this book of the Bible was written to converted Jews. So in other words, these people were raised in Old Testament traditions. They knew about sacrificial systems. They understood priests, priestly responsibilities. And so it's written to them, but you're now reading it without that background, so it needs some background so you can kind of get it a little bit better. Does that make sense? And so, but I'll give you the three-word summary of the book of Hebrews. Because if, when you go through the whole thing, here's what it's saying to people like you or some of you in this room. There are people in this room and there are people in this, this people group that the writer was writing to that were about to throw in the towel. They were about to give up. They were weary in well-doing. They, 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 they just thought, it's never gonna, what I'm doing is not going to make it. They love Jesus, but they wanted to throw in the towel. And the writer of Hebrews, in three words, basically says, never give up. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. That's what the book of Hebrews. So if you were, had your Bible, you put over chapter 1, theme of Hebrews, never give up. That's what it's about. Why? Why can't you? Why shouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? And the reason is because you have a high priest and his name is Jesus. And I'm going to unpack what that means and what that does for you. Because if you can understand the role of the high priest and how the high priest helps you overcome, you can also understand your role as a priest as well. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 5, and I'm going to move fast if I haven't been already. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 and following gives the qualifications of a high priest. You can put that text up there. I want you to look at this text while I'm talking, and I want you to see, this is what I do, so I'm just giving you a quick picture snapshot, but you're going to see the qualifications of Jesus, our high priest in here, or, or a priest in here. It says a priest is selected from among the people. In other words, a priest, the qualifications are to be taken from men, appointed to serve men. That's a qualification. Another thing it says here is he's appointed to represent the people. So a priest is represented, uh, he is, uh, a priest must, be, excuse me, he's appointed by God to represent the people to God. So a priest, so that, in many respects, uh, that's what pastors do too. There are needs that you have, and, 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 and I present those to God uh, for you, but you have that same responsibility too as uh, in the priesthood of the believer. Amen? In addition to that, it says a priest is to offer gifts, look in the, look in the chapter behind me, and sacrifices for sins. So let me say this. Without sacrifices, uh, sin can't be dealt with. But in the old system, Old Testament system, before Jesus did what he did for us, sacrifices were like animals, bulls, and goats. All that sacrifice did was delay judgment. Jesus, the once and for all sacrifice, dealt with judgment completely, entirely, comprehensively, and eternally. Are you with me, everybody? Okay? So, uh, so that's what happens there. And then another qualification is a priest. I love this one. This is really big and will come in the end of the message. Has to be subject to weakness. 
Now, it's, that's an Old Testament kind of language. In a New Testament, it sympathizes with our weakness. In this, in this particular example, it's basically saying you have to be of humanity to identify with humanity. If you, didn't, if you were not subject to weaknesses yourself, you couldn't identify. So as it applies to you, a human, not to Jesus, you are a priest who, who must recognize your own limitations without God. In other words, don't get confused by this platform. Okay, I'm higher than you just by a platform, but I still have to, just like you, go before his throne of grace to find help in a time. I'm with limitations. I have, I have needs just like you too. I'm, not, I, I, I'm, in the, the, I'm in the struggle with you. Okay, that's what this is talking about. Is everybody with me? These were the basic requirements. Now, then it goes on to say in verse 5, keep it up there, it says, in the same way, Christ. So just like there are qualifications to be a priest. Christ has qualifications to be your high priest, your representative, your go-between. He has to qualify. But his qualifications, first of all, are different but also elevated. They're not the same, but they're even higher. Is everybody tracking so far right now? And so now I'm going to introduce a phrase, a person in a phrase, and I'm begging you don't check out because I'll make it make sense. But you've heard this name before if you've read your Bibles. And here's what it says in verse 6. Because Jesus had a different standard and it was higher. What was that based on? It says in verse 6, and he says in another place, you, speaking of Jesus, are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. <laughs> and I'll skip down and it says a little further down. And was designated, or you could say designed, by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So, who the heck is Melchizedek? And what the heck does in the order of Melchizedek, or after the manner of Melchizedek, mean? Melchizedek, if you broke it into two words, Melchizedek, Mel, Z, uh, for short. Uh, it, the first part of that word means king. And the second part of that word means priest. Melchizedek was the new representation of what it is to be a royal priesthood. In the Old Testament, in the, in the, in the old way, our program, only priests could go before God. Kings could not. Kings had certain rules and, uh, about them and certain responsibilities and privileges. But sometimes... Kings messed up. King Saul tried to bring sacrifices before God, and it cost him his kingdom. King Uzziah tried to bring sacrifices to God like a priest, and he was struck with leprosy. This is an Old Testament like, no, 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 we don't do that. Kings were of one tribe, and, and priests were of another. But Melchizedek is a foreshadowing of what Jesus is to us, where we are kings and priests together as one joined. Are you with me, everybody? Melchizedek represents Christ in the scriptures. There's a big term called theophany. Some people believe in some respects it was the physical representation of Christ at that particular time. Not, not in the sense that you know it. Get off that subject, Derek. It's too hard to explain right now. And so here's what happens. There was this barrier between man and God 
And only a high priest could break through that barrier so we could have relationship with him. Jesus, of course, we know made that possible by being the sin offering for humanity, the once and for all sacrifice. But Melchizedek was this king, king of Salem. It means city of peace or king of peace. And it says in Hebrews 7 verse 1, uh, Melchizedek was a king of Salem and a priest of the most high God. So he's not just a priest. He's not just a high priest. He's a priest of the most high God. It basically means that, or a similarity would be, if you had certain things happen in a lower court, you had certain problems, certain accusations brought against you, and judgment was rendered against you, the accusations were rendered against you, there is a particular person who sits in the highest court, and at that court, anything that happened in a lower court could be could be overrun, could be overturned. That's what it means when you have a high priest. It doesn't matter what happens to you on ground level. You have a high priest who's at the highest level that can overturn anything that happens to you down here because of the authority that is maintained and obtained up there. Are you with me, everybody? That's what it means when it says priest of the most high God after the order of Melchizedek. In addition to that, this priestly uh, an attribute of this priest is he was he wasn't at the Bible calls it an advocate. First uh, John uh, chapter two verse two says you have an advocate uh, with God Jesus Christ the righteous and he is the propitiation for your sins but not just you but for the sins of the whole world. This word advocate means you have a lawyer on retainer. And he's the best lawyer, the most informed lawyer, the most understanding lawyer that you could have. And that lawyer, I, I, it's hard to explain to you completely, but that lawyer is in the highest court right now. Or you could say in the Old Testament, he's behind the veil talking to the judge on your behalf right now about stuff that's going on in your life. Okay? And what I want to help you do by the end of this message is see how do you access your advocate. How do you access? Sometimes you need a lawyer. I had to get a lawyer in a situation in my life. Sometimes you need a lawyer, but sometimes we're not getting the full benefits of the lawyer until we know how to employ the lawyer into our circumstance and into our situation. That's the end of the message. But Jesus, right now, your high priest, your advocate, your lawyer is behind the veil talking to the judge. The judge isn't the judge of the punisher. That's not what judge means, by the way. It means a person who makes decisions and determines right from wrong. So you have an advocate who's in tight with the judge. In matter of fact, he's the son of the judge. And so you have access to the judge because you have a son who's related to the judge. So imagine the benefits we could have as a priest if we understood how to access our high priest. Are you with me? So here's a story. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1, uh, and there's a parallel to this story in Genesis 14, 18, where it has more details about this. But Abraham, the father of our faith, had just come out of battle very successfully, but he was depleted, he was exhausted. He was actually getting ready to go into another battle, which is the story of our lives. If you're not coming out of a battle, uh, you're getting ready to go into one. But he was in the in-between, and in the in-between, he meets Melchizedek. 
Melchizedek represents the high priest. He represents God. And Melchizedek sees Abraham, and the Bible says, blesses him. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. So, in essence, God blessed Abraham, and then Ab- the Bible says Abraham did something. Abraham was blessed and gave Melchizedek a tithe. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. No, he didn't. He's going to talk about the tithe right now. Oh, I brought a guest. Okay. I want to I talk about it in a refreshing way, though. Because I want you to notice something that what, what the church does and sometimes religion does and TV does and radio used to do in the past is people like me would try to get you to give to get. That's not in the Bible. It's not only not in the New Testament, it's not in the Old Testament, but this story represents an example of the heart of God when it comes to you and how he looks at you. Melchizedek saw the condition of Abraham and decided to refresh him and to bless him. And in response and gratitude to the goodness of God through Melchizedek, what did Abraham do? He tied. See, the thing is, so many times we misinterpret the Bible. God is not trying to get you to give, to get, to manipulate him, some formulaic way to get blessed. No, God wants to bless you. God's looking for ways to bless you. When you're in the down and out and you're in the valley and the in-between, he wants to bless you. And then your natural response should be to, in gratitude for that because of the goodness of God, you give back to God. Are you with me, everybody? So he was already blessed. And in Genesis, guess what he blessed him with? He blessed him with bread and wine, which many people believe is a foreshadowing of Jesus and what he did at the Last Supper. How did he bless his disciples? With bread and wine. That was kind of the inauguration of Jesus as our high priest at the Lord's Supper for those that like that bonus information. So a high priest ministry of Jesus requires uh, this. Number one, write this down if you're taking notes, sacrifices. But it's not sacrifices like the old program. The old program was guilt offerings and bulls and rams and goats on an altar and blood and shed everywhere. No, it's ineffective. The, The offering now was... The gifts and were gifts and sacrifices uh, were different in this New Testament model. The offering now was Jesus Himself. Jesus was that sacrifice. It had to be different. It had to be higher. And so Jesus was the offering. Jesus sacrificed himself. So first he sacrificed prayers and petitions before he sacrificed himself. He was praying for you. He was petitioning for you. That's the role of the priest. And secondly, he offers himself for you fully. He dies for you. I was just having a revelation during the dove song over here, just thinking about as I'm watching the words, and I'm just, my, I'm, I don't know sometimes if it connects with us, and I don't have anything profound to say, but, but this is what came to me. It's like, he died for me. He, I mean, he, he literally, he physically died for me to pay for my sins. Sometimes I don't think it connects, but it was connected with me today. The offering was Jesus himself. It's a special gear to get all these benefits. But then the second thing a high priest does is he intercedes for others. The Bible says in Hebrews 7.23, he always, listen to this about your high priest Jesus. He always lives to intercede for them. Intercession is different than prayer, by the way, and petitions. Intercession is where he's lawyering for you. No, that's not like my son Derek. No, that's not his intent. No, that's not what he was up to do. No, you're you're falsely accusing him. Satan, sit down. Get over there. 
This, he, he's, 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 he's a child of God. I know the purpose and plan of God for his life. That's not what he's going to end up doing. That's not his destiny. That's not his purpose. Listen, God, I, I understand, Devin. I understand Derek. I've been where Derek is. I, I've gone through some of the things Derek's gone through. That's not. He's interceding for you. He's lawyering for you. At the, at, in the highest court in the universe, he's lawyering up for you. That's what it means to intercede, everybody. The picture of heaven is he prays for you. He petitions for you. He made a sacrifice for you, and he intercedes for you. Can I have an amen out there? So, everybody say so. so. There's a pattern from that for us to follow. So that's Jesus, our high priest, but now we're priests too. So what do we do? Let me give you what we do as priests. We don't have to die. Thank you, Jesus. We don't have to uh, get on a cross and pay for our sin. We don't, pay, we don't die uh, you know, for sin. We die to self. We don't die to sin. We die to self. So the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, if you see therefore, you have to see what it's there for. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, what's his mercy? He died for you. Mercy is giving you what you don't deserve, but he gave it to you anyway. In view of that mercy and the recognition, Jesus died for me. Offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See, so again, a lot of times I think we don't die as a sacrifice, but we're called to live sacrificially for him through our bodies. Can I give you a little incentive that sometimes you don't see the connection? Because the second verse reveals a, 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 a connection between verse 1 and 2. Many of you sit in this room and you struggle still at this phase of your life. I don't know the purpose and plan of God for my life. If I was to interview you, I bet you it's maybe 70% of this room are not living with intentionality and purpose. It's directly connected to this verse. You cannot know the purpose and plan of God if you do not present your body a living sacrifice. The Bible says in verse 1 to do that, and then it says in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, everybody say then. Then you will know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will, parenthetically, for your life. Perfect means perfect and personal will of God. So the then is not connected just to renewing your mind. The then is connected to presenting your body a living sacrifice. So what does it mean to present your body a living sacrifice? What does that look like if they're connected? Let me tell you what the sacrifices look like in Hebrews 13, 15. Are you getting something out of this, everybody? Who's still up with me? Who's still paying attention? Who's still getting, you know, goosebumps? Praise the Lord. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Therefore by him, that's Jesus, what should we do as priests, Pastor Derek? Continually offer the sacrifices of four things. Look in this verse. Is it on the screen? It is. The four things that you do as a priest, New Testament, priesthood of the believer, what does it look like to present your body a living sacrifice? You offer praise. You offer thanksgiving. You do good. And you share. What do you share? Your faith. What do you do good? You do good anywhere you can to whoever you can. You see a need, you try to meet it. You offer praise and thanksgiving. You can't praise and thanksgiving if you're here 30 minutes late for the worship experience. That's just one place to praise. We don't come to be praised. We come to bring praise. Can I have an amen? Can we give God praise for just three seconds right now for that truth and for that reality? 
Because the things that bless us most, listen, cost most. Amen. And then the second thing of us for us as priests, and the worship team can come now. Priests must, this is what you do, not Jesus, you do too. Priests must intercede for others. What are you doing? You're, you're lawyering up, you're, but you're saying, God, I pray they don't give up. You're lawyering up for somebody before God. God, don't quit on my friend. Don't quit on my son who's far from God right now. Don't quit on my husband who's, who denies you when I love you and serve. You, you understand what I'm saying? You as a priest are called to intercede. You lawyer up and you continue to bring up these things before God. And you are saying fundamentally, don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. That is your job as the priest and as a believer is to intercede for other people. And then here's what, here's the incentive, here's what happens. Hebrews 4.14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, which I do, thank you, Jesus, who's ascended into heaven, when he ascended into heaven, by the way, this is referring to his resurrection, he went through the atmosphere, the first heaven, he went through the stellar heaven, the stars, and then he went into the third heaven, which is the courtroom of God. It represents the tabernacle, by the way, and the three places until you get to the Holy of Holies, sidebar. And so the great, high, the great high priest goes into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, and he gets before God. He says, God, don't give up on them. Don't quit on them. And the question is, why? Because, because he's trying to tell you down here, because you have somebody up there. For the Bible says we don't have a high priest who's just up there and who doesn't get it. No, he understands. He understands what you're dealing with down here because he was here before he ascended. He's a high priest who is not unable to, uh, he, he is able to empathize with you in your weaknesses. And he was tempted and tested in every way just as you are, yet he never sinned, means he never crossed the line. So in other words, you have a high priest, and this is the benefit, who knows how you feel. Jesus came as a man so that as a man he could understand what you feel as a man or a woman. He, he's, he's, no category in life, I don't care what it is, have you, has anyone experienced that Jesus hasn't gone through? The difference is he didn't mess up. He was successful over it. You say, no way, I don't know what. Yeah, Jesus was lonely, just like you. Jesus was rejected. Jesus was insulted, and he was, he was falsely accused. He was beat up. He was hurt and beat up to the point of death. He cried over some pretty significant things. He cried so much he sweat blood. I don't think anybody's done that in here. He was betrayed by one of his very own. He, he, he felt sin. He didn't sin. But I would submit to you that he felt so much more than you because he, he Bible says he bore our sins upon him. The iniquity of us all was upon him. So he, he didn't just have your sin and the guilt of your sin and how that makes you feel. He had the sins of humanity upon him as an innocent person. And he took that upon himself so that you could have peace. So that you could be in right standing with God. So I don't care. I do care, but I don't care what you've been through as an expression. Whatever you've gone through, you can get through because he sympathizes with you. Amen. He does. I think he's up there like, the devil attacked me too. Just like you. The devil attacked me time and time again. He came to me at my point of weakness, just like you. Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4. He did the same thing to me. Yep, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know what it's like to be thirsty, son. I was so thirsty when I wanted to drink, they gave me vinegar. I know what it's like to be homeless. 
Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to put his head. I know what you've been through. I understand you have a high priest who can sympathize. And, and when you put that together with God the Father, Jesus the Son, and God the Father, you have this incredible situation because you have, it's like a doctor that delivers babies. There's a male doctor and there's a female doctor. Now, the male doctor may know what to do, but when a woman comes in and travail, how many know that the male doctor doesn't know what the woman feels like? All the ladies say amen. amen. But if you have a female doctor who knows what to do but has also delivered a baby, how many know that's a different kind of understanding? See, God the Father, he can solve the problem. He knows what to do. But Jesus is up there saying, I know how it feels. And when you put how it feels connected to what to do, you got yourself a pretty good tandem. And that's what you have in Jesus the high priest. You have a king on a throne who can solve your problems. And you have a high priest who feels what you feel. He understands. So I want you to stand to your feet because I want to pray for you. Because I want you to have help. Because as a priest... That lawyer is up there interceding for you, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the advocate for you. But many people here in this room are not accessing your priestly benefits. And here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. So it tells you as a priest, how do you get the access, Pastor Derek? It says you've got to draw near. You have, to, you have to come close to him so that you can receive mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And you can get grace. Get grace is getting what you, you know, what you don't deserve. But, but he gave it to you anyway. And then he says, when these two forces come together, help will be there in your time of need. But it's preceded by, to you the priest, you must understand, you have to approach God. Some of you are running away from the only one who can help you. Some of you are not accessing your high priest in the courtroom of heaven because you're mad because you're saying things like I, 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 I needed God and he wasn't there for me to access the priestly benefits you have to come boldly before his throne of grace you have to approach God and some of you are just bedside Baptists and mattress Methodists and you're, you're just lying down just waiting for God to get you up. And some of you are long distant Christians and you just come to him occasionally once in a while and you're frustrated that he's not there for you. He's saying, approach me. Come back to me. Return to me. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to give you a chance to approach your high priest. Maybe you're here today and Jesus has not become the Lord and Savior of your life. You're not a priest yet until you've accepted Jesus as the sacrifice for your sins. Not just other people's sins, you personally. Have you accepted what Jesus did for you? And have you resolved that big question, where will I go when I die? Will I be with God or will I be separated from Him? If you're not certain of that, that we, can, we can resolve that right now by receiving Jesus. If that's you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, like a quiet courtroom, the only people that are watching, me, as a priest representing the high priest, I want you to raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor Derek. I want to make sure Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Good night. I see you, sir. I see you. Yes, sir. 
Thank you, thank you. Three, four, right there. Yes, yes at the front. Yes over here. Five, six, that's awesome. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Anybody else? Good and high. Good, 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 good. Amen. You can put your hands down. That's awesome. Would you pray this prayer with me, church? Would you join them? And then, church, I'm going to lead you into a separate prayer. Just say this. Say, Jesus. Those that raise your hands, say it from your heart. Say, Jesus, I receive the once and for all sacrifice that you made for me so that I could be in right standing with God the Father. I want a place reserved for me in eternity because of you. By grace through faith, I receive that. I repent of all of my sins, the past, the present, and even the ones I'll do in the future. But I know Jesus is my sacrifice. And Jesus now has become my high priest. Father, I pray for every person in this room, and I pray that in their lives they would approach you again. Lord, I pray for the runners. Stop running. As a prophetic voice, I say, stop running. Stop hiding from God. Stop blaming God. He is your advocate, your intercessor, and he is in the courtroom of heaven interceding for you even now. And he is saying, approach, 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 and find help in your time of need. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap. Let's give him a praise for his word. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.